Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, everyone. I said good morning, everyone. That's much better. I just want to greet everyone, all the fathers, and uh, say happy Father's Day. It's such a joy that, as Brother Albert rightly said at the very beginning of the service, we are the lost community today, the fathers. No, you are not a father yet, son, so you can't say yes to that. But Anyway, I just want to welcome everyone this morning. Greetings to you in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a joyful occasion it is for us to gather to celebrate uh, Father's Day. We are taking a short break on our journey through the Gospel of John. And on this day, as we try to understand um, or celebrate fathers, I want to pose a question to every one of us. Who is this father? Who is a father. So I did some search online and it says the father plays a role in the creation of the child. So mostly any man be, can be a father, but not every man can be a dad. There's a big difference between being a father and being a daddy. And online, again, it says a dad always guides his children and interacts with them to teach them life lessons. I like to present it in a slightly different manner. A father brings a child into this stormy world. A daddy navigates the child through the stormy world. That's the difference. So who is this father? Let us go to the scripture to understand who the father is. It starts with the family, and family, as we know, is ordained by God. It was God's plan. It was His will, because He is the architect of the institution of family. And as you read through the creation narrative in the book of Genesis, after creating man, the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And He said He was going to find somebody comparable as a helper. And then the, as you read, you see that the Lord made a woman out of the man's rib and gave him and said, therefore the man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to this individual, this woman, and they shall become one body, one unit. Then the question is, now why should they come together? What was God's plan? And God says it very clearly in Genesis chapter 1, 20, 28, for God wanted them to, fruit, be, to be fruitful and to multiply. So that is to have children and children's children. So all of a sudden that we see, church, that God gave them new roles. The man becomes the father and the woman becomes the mother. Then in his sovereign plan and will and purpose, God prescribed specific roles for the husband, for the wife, for the children, and we see this in the book of Ephesians. And the husband is called to be the spiritual leader of the household. 
He is called to love his wife as Christ loved the church. A heavy calling, church. A heavy calling. And his primary task, as you read through Ephesians, is just like what Christ did to the church, to sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water with the word. Now when the husband does this, the wife's responsibility is to honor the husband by submitting to him as to the Lord. Now the Lord did not stop there with the parents. He spoke to the children and that's what you heard being read this morning. And let's, let's bring it up on the screen now. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So as you read this, it's very simple and straight and children are called to obey their parents in the Lord so that it may be well with them, that they would enjoy long life on earth. You see, life is not complicated when God created it, isn't it? And the role of a father is more clearly defined in the instructions the Lord gave to Abraham. And I want to bring it up again, another passage in Genesis chapter 18 verse 19. For I have chosen him, talking about Abraham, so that he will direct who? His children and his household after him to do what? To keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So what happens then when he, when he does that? The Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Simple. So in order for Abraham to enjoy the benefit that the Lord has promised, there is something that Abraham has to do with the children. Interesting, isn't it? So we see that the fathers are called to direct their children and the entire household to keep the way of the Lord. Why? So that they will receive the blessing the Lord has promised Abraham. You might ask, Pastor, that's about Abraham. What has that got to do with the father? The scripture states very clearly, church, look at this passage. If we belong to Christ, then we are Abraham's seed, and note this church, and we are heirs according to the promise. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What does that mean? As believers in Christ, we too would be entitled to the promises given to Abraham, which are the promise of a land, promise of descendants, and promise of blessing and redemption. So, fathers, if you do as it is commanded here, you and your household should enjoy the blessings of Abraham. Beautiful plan, isn't it? God gave to the families. So, this is the promise of God. That is why we sing what? Father Abraham, what? Had many sons, right? I don't want to sing. I'm not allowed to sing. But that song, you remember the song? Sunday school, we learned this, right? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and we say, I am one of them. I am one of them. Every father, a believer, you're one of them. So, church, think about it. A true home, fathers, this day is for you. As you may be getting gifts and you may be taken out for lunch, there is a serious responsibility here. Mothers, you can listen to this message very carefully and hold them accountable. 
And I'm telling my wife too to do that to me. A true home as God intended is the most sacred of places. It's a place where love learns its lessons. Life is schooled into discipline and strength. Character is molded. It's a place where children see manhood and womanhood modeled. It's a place where moral values are taught by the parents placed into the hearts of their children. It's a place where people see the reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ is modeled. So church, let me ask you a question. Can this be said about your home? Can this be said about your home? I can see the guilt on your faces. And I'm glad. I'm guilty too. Is your home a safe haven or a sanctuary for your kids? Is your home the institution where your kids are taught life lesson? If not, who is to take the responsibility of making it a home as ordained by God? Now, fathers, don't look at your spouse. Church, if a company fails, no matter whose fault it is, it could be the manager, it could be the clerk, it should be the janitor, it could be anybody. Who is held accountable for that? The CEO, isn't it? Ultimately, he is responsible. The head of the institution. And likewise, church, if we have a dysfunctional family, I'm using the word dysfunctional very respectfully, if we have some issues with your children, as the spiritual head of the household, it is the father who has to take responsibility. It is the father. As we saw with Abraham, it is the father's role to direct the family in the path of righteousness so that they will enjoy the blessings promised to Abraham. I'm not saying it. That's what the Bible says. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning, I wish to draw the attention of the fathers here to their God-ordained role so that they can have a home that glorifies God. Now you might say, Pastor, my home is in a mess. Let's be honest about it. Pastor, my home is in a mess. My children are out of control. They don't listen to me. Pastor, I want to start all over again. I need another chance. Fathers, I want you to know nothing is impossible with the Lord, isn't it? Nothing is impossible with the Lord. It starts with you. It starts today. Everybody say it starts today. It starts today. If you confess your faults this morning, the scripture says the Lord is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And not only that, the Lord has promised this, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. God can restore it. So church, we need to come back to a biblical theology of fatherhood. So fellow fathers, I'm talking to you this morning. It is my prayer that through our study of God's word, together we might experience a great awakening in both our person and in our parenting. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if not, there are pews, Bibles are there, you can grab one. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 6. My primary focus is only on one verse, verse number 4. Let's look at the verse. Can you please read with me? This is not ESV, this is from NKJV. 
Read with me, please. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This verse alone, church, gives us at least five duties of a Christian father. That's why I've titled in today's message as duties of, of a Christian father. And fathers, I plead with you. I plead with you. Life is not complicated. God designed it to be very good. May today be the day. Follow, follow along as I go through this. The first thing Apostle Paul tells us here, look at the very first verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Everybody say provoke. Do not provoke your children. To provoke means to rouse anger, to enrage. Church, we know that children are commanded to do what? To honor their father and their mothers, isn't it? But when we provoke them, we are causing them to sin against the fifth commandment. That's what you're doing when we provoke them. So you ask the question, Pastor, how, uh, how am I provoking my child? They, we can have a whole sermon series on that. But because of time, I just want to give you at least four things how you can provoke a child. Firstly, is overprotection. Overprotection. We fence them too much. We do not trust the world they are growing in, so we are overprotective. When we do that, children see differently. Their perception is, church, that you don't love them. When you're overprotective. A great biblical example is Laban in the Old Testament. He had two daughters, as you know, Leah and Rachel. We see what an overprotective and domineering parent he was. He dealt dishonestly with Jacob. And Jacob had to work another seven more years to marry Rachel. In Laban's mind, he meant the best for both the daughters. He meant the best. Maybe I would have done the same thing too. But how did the daughters, Leah and Rachel, how did they see this? They felt that their father did not really care for them. Look at this, their response about Jacob. Does he not regard us as foreigners? Wow. Daughters talking about their father. Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for, for us. So dad's expression of parental protection came across as evidence that he did not really love them. So the first thing I want to ask you, are you too overprotective with your child? That your child has no say in what, what, what he or she does. That would provoke the child. Secondly, how do you provoke can be favoritism. Another biblical example we can see in the family of, of Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac favored Esau over Jacob. And what did the mother do? She favor, preferred Jacob over Esau. As a result, what happened? The family experienced terrible agony. Two brothers became bitter rivals. If you want to destroy your child, make him, of, make him or her feel inferior, church, to everyone else in the family. I want you to understand God is no 
respecter of persons, Acts 10, 34. And, but we are, sadly, we are. Every child is given by God. Every time we want to show favoritism, basically what we are doing, church, is we are questioning God. We are questioning God. Children are loaned to us. They are not ours. Everybody say the word loan. It's a loan. You are only a steward. So do you favor one child over the other? Then you are provoking a child. Thirdly, when you set unrealistic goals, you are provoking a child. Now, we try to push achievements and, and the goals must be realistic. But church, let's be honest. How do we set our goals for our children? We set the goals what we fail to achieve in our own lives. I couldn't do it, but let me see that come to pass through my child. We set the goals under social pressure. We do it because our neighbor's child is doing it, and we expect my child to do the same. Instead of being there to comfort and support them in achieving their God-ordained goals, if God has given you a child, there is a plan that God has for that child. Instead of allowing the child to excel in that, we push them to be what we want them to be. That will provoke the child. Fourthly, it could be discouragement. Pa parents, please listen to this carefully, fathers. We provoke the, our children when being always critical about them. We are never happy with their performance. So what do we do? We use sometimes sarcasm in our homes as a means of ridiculing them. We put them down in the presence of their peers and families. Fathers, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you found ways to celebrate and appall, applaud your child? When was the last time? When was the last time? Or is it the false humility that is not letting you? I'm not talking about boasting about your child. When was the last time? When was the last time you spoke something good about your child in his or her presence? So the child knows how you feel about this. Ch parents, I want you to understand one thing. Every child is looking for your approval. In everything that they do, they need your approval. If you, their father, puts your own children down, child down, who in the world will come for their defense? Who will come? People will laugh with you, at you. The child is cornered and the child is helpless. It's painful, isn't it, church? It's painful. This constant criticism and sarcasm will provoke the children and you will lose them. I want you to see what a child psychologist said. A child learns what he lives. If he lives with criticism, he does not learn responsibility. He learns to condemn himself and to find fault with others. 
He learns to doubt his own judgment, to belittle his own ability, and to distrust others. And above all, he learns to live with the continual expectation of impending doom. When your child becomes this, there's only one person to blame. That's you and me, fathers. Sad, isn't it? Sad. So the first duty of a Christian father is not to provoke the child. Now, after saying this, Apostle Paul, let me just bring up a slide just to, for those of you who are taking down notes. Now, Apostle Paul begins by stating first that what we should not be doing, then he goes on to say what we should be doing to raise godly children. Let's continue to read verse number four again. As, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but, read with me, bring them up. Everybody say, bring them up. Bring them up. Now, the second thing that we need to do is to bring them up. In other words, fathers are to enrich their children. That's what the word bring them up means. We are to tend them like we would a tender plant. We are to help them reach their fullest potential. Now, you may ask, why should we care for them like a tender plant? Why should we do that? You know why? Because of who they are. Because of who they are. Church, they are fragile spiritually when they are given to you. They are vulnerable. They are defenseless when they were given to you. Why do I say that, church? We must recognize the seriousness of the sin nature and the normal rebellious spirit that dwells in the heart of every child because the Bible says very clearly, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Yes, this is your child. You might say, oh, my sweetie, oh, you, you look so cute. But behind that, you have a heart, the Bible says, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's the reason, church. This tender, loving care. The same way we take care of a plant. Then you ask, Pastor, how do I give this TLC? Tender, loving care. There are two components that are expected from us. Firstly, we have to invest one thing that most parents are not willing to give up. What? Time. Everybody said time. You know, when I prepared the message, I did some research, and I found out an average father in America spends between 15 to 45 minutes with his children every day. Wow. 15 minutes every day. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. How much time as a father do you spend with your children? Oh, are you trying to make a dollar into two and two dollars into four? Leaving your child alone to be raised by the television and by babysitters. The Deuteronomy, God has given clear command. Fathers, take this seriously. It says very clearly... 
These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. What is the Bible telling you? When you sit at home, the child, children are with you. When you are walking along the road, the children are with you. When you lie down, the children are with you. When you get up, the children are with you. Spending time with the children. It's a commandment. It's a commandment. One way of spending fathers is to doing things together. Take them wherever you go out for shopping and have meals together. Go and watch their games or go on picnics and travel around and, and go to movies together. Make it exciting for them. I'm not saying this to boast about my dad, but there is one vivid memory of my dad is the amount of time we spent chatting away late evenings. Honestly, I don't remember what we spoke about. But one thing I know, my dad spent so much time with me. Spending time with the family, with the children, that's what they remember. You know, church, fathers, it's not late, too late. You can start today. So the first thing is time, and the second component needed for, 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 for the tender, loving care is love. But the family, you must build a family with love. The fertilizer to enrich the child is love. Unconditional love must be lived out in the home. Church, love given out of grace is nothing to do with their response, nothing to do with the, the merit, or nothing to do with their performance. We love them no matter what. Love is given with no strings attached, but fathers know this. First, fathers, please take, pay attention to what I'm saying. First, this love must be demonstrated between the mother and the father. If this love is not lived out between parents, it will not be given to the children either. It cannot be. Fathers, listen to this. Every argument, every unresolved dispute with their mother, the mother of your children, that is your wife, is a message to the child, this house is not safe for you. Dispute between mother and father must be resolved before you go to sleep. The children must see that you both are reconciled. When you don't do that, you have an argument with your wife and you go to sleep and she goes to sleep and the children are observing. The entire night is the devil's playground in their mind. Children must see that you both are seeking forgiveness from each other. Sadly, church, please listen, our expression of love for our children is expensive gifts. To compensate where we have failed. Do you think they value it more than the love give to the mothers? Absolutely not. Why do we give expensive gifts to shadow our guilt? But they are like filthy rags. Just like the good works to the Lord. Church, I don't remember a single toy that my dad gave me. But I remember the time and love. Now, when you do not give love within your home, trust me, your child will find love outside. Then it's too late. Too late to reverse. Show them, show them you love them by spending time with them. 
Tell them that you love them each time you see them. Make a home the most exciting place for them to bring their friends along. Fathers, enrich your children. That's the second lesson, that we, duty that we are learning here today. To enrich your children by providing time and love. Let's move on to the third one. Paul says, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, by, but bring them up. Everybody read the next verse. In the training. Training. To train means to educate. The word training has the idea of the whole education of the child. It means father, fathers are to prepare them to face the world independently one day. When they leave the nest, the safe environment, and they enter the world, they'll be prepared for the things they will face. The Bible says very clearly, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. So the question is, how do you educate them? When you talk about education, we quickly assume the role of a teacher, and we tell them the do's and don'ts of life. Isn't it? When you talk about education, that's what you do. Don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. It's a set of rules and regulations. But let me tell you, that's where the problem starts, church. The way we want to educate, the first method of teaching is to listen. Everybody say listen. Listen to your child. Hear your child out. Too often we listen to what we don't like. Then we interrupt and begin to think about our response and we stop listening. Church, remember this. By paying attention to your child, we remove any fear of the child in telling you anything and everything in their lives, isn't it? If they are fearful to talk to you, they are not going to talk to you. Only when you listen, you will know what's going on in your child's life. You will understand the pulse well, and you can guide them in the right way. Only then, you'll be able to know your child. So learn to zip your mouth and listen. Listen, church. When they say it may not be too significant for you, but at their age, that's their world. That is their world. When the child wants to talk to you after school, after work, be available and be compassionate. Ask them how the day was and then just zip your mouth and listen. Let them know that they can be open with you. If you don't, trust me, there are others in the world who are willing to listen. Then it's too late. Even now, my daughter is married and she is, she, she is well settled, she is working. She calls me every day from, from work and, and she'll tell me the whole story about what happened in the school, to what happened to Dennis and what happened to Lisa and what happened to... Do, am I worried about this? Absolutely not. But I just zip my mouth, I listen. That's their outlet. How can I control? I can't control. But they just want to vet. It's a safe place to vent. It allows you to know your child, isn't it? So the first method is listen. The second method is tell the whole truth. Everybody say truth. Truth must be lived out in you. Your yes must be yes. Your no must be no. You must be the first to own up your own mistakes and not to cover it up. The child must know that my father speaks the truth no matter what. You know the biggest temptation when it will come? When you cross the borders. 
isn't it? You go to the U.S., you grab and you go and buy something, and the, and the immigration officer customs asks, did you buy anything in the U.S.? And your child is in the car. Nope. We can get through with the customs officer, but you have damaged your own reputation. There's no, then if you can develop that church, the child will be always be able to talk to you the truth. When you know the truth, then you can help the child. When the child speaks the truth, be patient and listen carefully. If you do not listen or interrupt, or if you show your disapproval, the child will refrain from telling the truth to you. And then you'll never know your child. So listen and tell the truth. The third one, as I said before, do not compare the child. You know the biggest problem we parents do? We always compare them, not to others. When I was young and when I was growing up in Timbuktu, who is worried about it? Go back to Timbuktu. Child is not worried about that. We try to compare and we portray as if we were the best in the world. We give impressions that we are better than we, are, we were. Because we, are, we may be embarrassed to admit that we have failed. Do not compare church. And the fourth method of teaching is live it out. Live it out. Our kids need to see a model of growth. They need to see that by walking in truth and applying the truth of God's word, growth will take place in their lives. They must see this, that in our lives, kids should be able to mimic you. I see when my children were growing up, most of the phrases that sometimes my son uses are phrases exactly picked up from me. Because they pick up from you. We should be like Apostle Paul and tell our children, imitate me as I imitate who? Christ. Christ. Live it out. That's how you educate them. That's how you educate them. Let's move on to the fourth one. The fourth duty of the father. Let's read this again. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training. And read the next word. Admonition. The word admonition simply means to encourage them. Everybody say the word encourage. Now, how do we encourage them? First, encourage them, church, listen carefully, by attacking the problem when the child comes with the problem, not the, not the person. Not the person. We need to get mad at the sin and not the sinner, get mad at the act and not the child. Then they know that they can be honest and they can be open and they can be transparent. That's the first thing that we need to do to encourage them. Secondly, how do we encourage them to make your home a happy home, enjoyable place? Enjoyable place. Church, our children should be able to say, I would rather spend time with my parents, I would rather be in my parent's home than to go out and hang out with my friends. If your parents, children can say that, we have won them. We have created the most enjoyable place. You know, 
growing up, I always tell my kids, and, and, and I always say, there must be joy in the house, and every time, I, I, I said, my, my daughter, she was quite cute when she was, even now she's cute, but when she was growing up, it's a different story. So every time I get angry in the house, I, I'm raising my voice, you know what she used to do? She would sing this beautiful chorus, let there be joy, let there be peace. Just melts you down, isn't it? You teach them. You speak about this. Make it a comfortable home for them. Because church, remember this. Soon they will leave. My kids have left the house. They are not going to come back to you as kids. They are kids forever, trust me. But you don't have the same relationship anymore. Your home is the refuge and shelter for your kids. What memory do they take with them? We are teachers, we are not judges. Always remember. So the father who throws his weight around, whether physically or verbally, can be devastating to a child's spirit. So that's the fourth one we looked at, the, to encourage the child. And the last one we are going to look at, please, is in the very last verse, as you see this. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, by, but bring them up in the training and admonition, what? Of the Lord. So the last one is that to evangelize your child. So all of this training and admonition is to be of the Lord. Everybody say, of the Lord. We are to steep them in the word of God, not our opinions, our preferences, our prejudices. We, when we train them in the things of the Lord... When they, when they grow up and live lives that glory, glorify and honor God. Church, when we counsel them and we correct them, it must be supported by the word of God. We tell them don't drink, don't smoke, don't do drugs, because not because what daddy is saying it, because that's what the scripture says. That's what the Lord says. Don't do A, B and C, not because daddy is saying it, because that's what the scripture says. If our love, our discipline, and our encouragement, our instructions are centered in the Word of God, which is unchangeable, which is, which is yes, yesterday, today, and forever, you are directing their standards to the Word of God. We'll more likely than not raise children that are in the will of God. So you know that, Pastor, how do we start evangelizing our children? It starts by prayer. It starts by prayer. A family that prays together stays together. How many of you are having family prayers? Don't slip your hands up. Who is leading the family prayer? It's the father. He's a spiritual head. The children must know the power of prayer, personal and family morning and night, and no one should leave the house except they are being prayed over. That is the discipline I develop with my children. I'll never let them leave the house without being prayed over. So that is the first thing. Second thing is studying the word. Every decision that you make must be supported by the word of God. No decision should be made within the family that is contradictory to the word of God. If the word of God says don't do it, it doesn't matter how important or valuable it is, you're not going to do it. 
Thirdly, by regular church attendance. Because that's when you prioritize and tell the child the importance of God. This is why, my dear parents, I plead with you, if you want me to go on my bended knees, I will do it. Send your children to the youth programs. Send your children to Sunday school. Send You attend the family prayers. You come to Sunday services. Trust me, I'm not saying this because I want to see this church being filled up. Be nice if it is filled up. It's for your own good. It's for your own good. There will come a day that you want the child to be in the house of God and she or he is not going to be there. Who is to be blamed? You are to be blamed. No one else. No one else. No one else. I'm sorry I'm being emotional. Why? Because I see there are families that are struggling. Then it's too late. It's too, too late. Somebody called me. Somebody raised up. I, 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 that child grew up in the Sunday school of our church. And they slipped away and they disappeared from the horizon. And, and, she, and, and the mother called me. She went, the boy was about 21, 22. And he said, Pastor, I wanted to come home and pray. I went to the house. Pastor, go into the room and smell. Honestly, I've never smelled some of those things that I smelled that day. It looked very weird to me. I asked, what is that smell? <laughs> it looks bad. She said, that's weed. I said, okay, then what do you want me to do now? She said, pray. I don't have the magic wand, church. This is the wrong idea people have. Pastor comes and prays, things are going to happen. Yes, prayers, there are answers to the prayers, but it all starts with you, fathers. It starts with you. And, and, and you might say, so the evangelizing is very important, church, and you might today, as a result of what you heard, you might say, oh, pastor, I have messed up. But no pity party. Don't say, poor me. It's never too late. Here's the promise that we see in the scriptures in Psalm, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the, la in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. The promise of God. The promise of God. So today, as a result of what you're hearing, I know that all fathers might say, you cry out this morning and say, I'm going to stop this madness. I'm going to change things for the next generation. I'm going to get myself right with God. I'm going to start loving God and keep His commandments. I'm going to fear God and I'm going to take delight in His commands. I'm going to break this generational curse by turning my life over to God and teaching my children to do the same. Of course, that's a great thing to do. Is there anything to heart for the Lord? Absolutely none. But church, listen carefully, fathers. There is a hindrance to this prayer. There's a hindrance to your prayer. Fathers, listen carefully. I'll close with this. For the Lord to hear your prayers, firstly, you need to love your wife, the mother of your children. I want all fathers to hear for the Lord to hear your prayers, you need to love your wife, the mother of your children, as God's gracious gift to you. You need to treat your wife with respect and love. 
The Lord himself will not hear your cry. He will not answer. Look at this admonition, please. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them how? With respect. As the weaker partner and as with you of the gracious gift of life. Why? Read the next part with me. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Church, I'm going to ask all the fathers to stand. All the, all the married people, all the male, please stand right now. From wherever you are seated. If you're married, I want all the men to stand. Son, can you come, come here, please? I don't know about you, church. This message convicted me <laughs> so badly. Before it's too late, make a decision today. It doesn't matter whether the children are with you or without, or they have gone away. You still can have the influence. We're going to sing a beautiful chorus, a, 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 a song. Son, I just want to read, sing it. Can you bring up the last verse? Stands on that pardon for sin. It's the greatest thy faithfulness. I love that hymn. Can you bring the last verse, please? Let's read that together, and then we are going to. And then he's going to sing, and we, I'm going to pray after that. Let's read that together. Pardon for sin, and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Shall we close our eyes and bow our heads, please? Son, can you do that? Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousands beside. Everyone, please join. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Let me pray for the fathers before we sing the other two stanza now. God, our Heavenly Father, you have been a silent listener to this message this morning. Father, as when the fathers, as fathers, we fail, the family fails. And every one of us who are standing here, Master, we have a story. 
which, may, which became a history in our lives, and we want that to change. We know there is nothing impossible with you. And as we come and ask you, as we ask you to forgive us, pardon for sin, forgive us, Master. We are trusting in your faithfulness. We pray, O oh God, that you know every heart of these fathers who are standing here today. If there is true repentance and if there is true confession, Master, we know that you will make it beautiful. Because that has been your divine plan. So we pray in Jesus' name, as we leave the sanctuary and as we go out today, that we will take the duties of the Christian father very seriously. And may today be the day of a new beginning in our lives, O oh God. May that influence the children. And I pray that you'll restore the years that's been eaten by locusts, as you have promised. So I commit every father into your precious hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.